Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very, very special episode of the Feel and Film Podcast. Tonight, we begin celebrating our officially numbered 300th episode. Now, we've done quite a few more than that when all are accounted for, but that doesn't make this milestone any less awesome in our eyes. If you're new around here, allow me to do some brief introductions. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and here by my side, at all times, like a good Spartan friend should be, is Patrick. What I do. Hello, everyone. He is guarding me neck to thigh. That's neck right. to thigh. Without the abs, though, unfortunately, I can't really get that. Uh-oh. I look more like that big fat dude near the end of the movie that they fight. I think it's where it's at with the with the with the claws. I think that's probably the best way to describe me right now. Oh my gosh! I think that might be a little bit selling okay. yourself short. Too, but too extreme. I'm in the I'm in the middle. I'm ex- I'm not in the extremes. If you're not quite Gerard Butler, maybe you're more Michael Fassbender. Okay, we- I'll I'll take that. I'll take that. <laughs> I will take that. Well, if you couldn't tell already, and again, as I always say. You guys clicked on the link so you know what movie is. But the movie choice, well, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? When there's an epic film that we both love that just so happens to be titled the same as your special episode landmark, you've just got to talk about it. So here we go. Spoilers in full effect to discuss Zack Snyder's stylish, bloody, and macho as heck adaptation of Frank Miller's famous graphic novel 300. This is... Best. All right, Patrick. Yes, I know it was terrible. Shut up. Don't freaking, you guys can't see him and his little like head shake with like a wink. Like a, that was awful. Like this that was a, what you do half the time when we're podcasting. Like, am uh, I saying something wrong? He's shaking his head gracious. and like smiling. So here's a taste of your own medicine. Fair. <laughs> Listen, I'm not the, uh, what are those called? Impressions. I'm not the impressions guy. I'm not Gerard Butler. So sorry audience you know what i'm referencing because it's, it's awesome it's good yeah yeah you get kudos for it at least for the effort all right well this should be fun i think because there is not a ton of depth to mine from this though i did spend an extra i'd say hour hour and a half digging into the special features on the 4k disc when we decided to cover this one i went looking for it i don't know a couple nights before the podcast a couple nights ago and i was like wait a minute we don't own this movie what is happening right now i it's very weird when that happens that we are covering something that i consider you know a five-star favorite and there's nothing there and so i immediately searched amazon to see was it available could i like get it here overnight or something well lo and behold it was the 4k edition of it was on sale at best buy for that day just happened to be and it was like 10 bucks so I made a quick trip that afternoon to Best Buy, picked it up for 10 bucks, brought it home, was able to watch it in 4K, which is glorious, I must tell you. Um, sounds and looks amazing. And then I was able to go into all the special features. So that was an extra little treat, especially, especially because a lot of them are really about why they adapted it this way stylistically, and then also some into the original history, you know, of the Spartans and the Battle of Thermopylae, hopefully. Thermopylae, Thermopylae, I think either one probably works. We'll go with that. 
But anywho, I was uh, I really got to enjoy that, and I was happy about that. I wondered for you, like, how does your history go with this film? Did you ever see it in the theaters back in the mid two thousands? No, I was not into Zack Snyder's kind of style or really his adaptations at all. Watchmen and Three Hundred were really recent additions, which is not surprising with me to the uh, to to my movie library in terms of what I've watched. So it's been about three or four years since I pulled this up last. I think it was after we did our Watchmen episode that I wanted to see what else he had done and how the visual style sort of sits with another comic book adaptation. So it's fairly recent, but um, this was definitely an interesting rewatch because for the podcast, even though we're not necessarily going to deep dive into a bunch of stuff, I wanted to give it its fair shake of going beyond the spectacle, which is pretty fantastic, and then look at some of the in-depth stuff. And I've got some thoughts once we get into those areas later on. So this is essentially my second watch. Well, that's awesome. I'm not sure exactly how many times I've seen it, but it's definitely been quite a handful of them. And it's a movie that I remember watching back to back several times when I was, I I would say, younger. Although now that I'm thinking about it with this movie coming out in the mid 2000s, younger meant like mid to late 20s. Which just means I'm really old at this point. Yeah, we don't that's, talk my about young, that. that's my younger days. Oh, goodness gracious. Anyway, <laughs> the thing about this movie, as I mentioned in the intro there, that I think is the primary takeaway from folks who watch it is just how, and I'm going to put this in air quotes, macho this movie is. And so I wanted to start with that. Why do you think this movie in particular appeals to this masculine nature and why does it get this label as being hyper masculine or macho because gladiator did it right i mean that would be my hot take and i say that very very tongue-in-cheek because if i'm gonna watch a movie that deals with some of the same themes some of the same ideas i'm gonna pull in gladiator because ridley scott's amazing all of it is just fantastic. We covered it. You guys can go back and listen to our episode on it. But I think what makes this hyper-masculine is the fact that it essentially takes the themes of something like Gladiator, the ideas, the visuals, everything about it, and just amps it up to 11. And it's really appealing in terms of just becoming an over-the-top version of it. It doesn't make it inaccurate necessarily, but it calls attention to the importance of those things that were in Spartan culture. And I think that's pretty specific that's a pretty specific thing that Zack Snyder's doing it's why comic books kind of exist especially in the world of superheroes Frank Miller I think is one of these guys that takes something ordinary and makes it extraordinary and the comic book genre is the way to do that because you have the ability to kind of tell your audience suspend your disbelief we're going to take a character trait we're going to take an aspect of the world and we're going to just overly emphasize it so you overly sexualize something or you overly emphasize violence and what i think makes zack snyder so good at the direction side of this is that he captures the visuals he captures the tone really well and even though this isn't one that i would necessarily go back and revisit on a regular basis like i would gladiator 
I think it still hits on all those points that make it a really cohesive story. So you can attach yourself to not only the action, not only the dialogue, not only the visuals, but also to the characters themselves. They're not flat. I mean, they are very much characters that you can care about to an extent. And within the two-hour time period, he definitely gives you room to latch on to one of those several characters that we run into. That's one thing I like about this movie, Aaron, is that we have fixed characters and we can really kind of stay with those. We're not looking at armies of people. We're not looking, we are looking at armies of people, but we're not looking at scores of people that we're trying to keep up with. We've got the king, we've got the queen, we've got his army, we've got Xerxes. Is that, I can't remember. Yeah. yeah, and then that's it. And then we've got pretty much that's it. So being able to latch on to those central characters makes the story pretty appealing, pretty simple, but it evokes some pretty good ideas as well. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that because you're right. It is very confined. It's a one event, one battle, one moment in time. It is not trying to cover the entire history of the city-state of Sparta. It is not trying to cover the entire reign of Xerxes and the Persian armies, you know, march across Asia, the Middle East, etc. It's not a sprawling epic. It is one fight that is communicating a specific nations, I guess, for lack of a better way, I guess you would call them a nation, honestly, a specific nation, specific cultures, way of life. And for them, it was warfare, right? And so I think warfare goes hand in hand with the word masculine. I mean, the reality is no matter where you stand on, should women be in the army quote, you know, or not for many, many, for the most of history, it has not been that way. And so the historically it is a man's thing to fight, to fight in wars and to be in battle. And so when you're talking about that, you're talking about these men that are going off to protect their nation and these men that are like incredibly jacked and look like strong, you know, physically competent men, um, very um, brutish, uh, very uh, curt and to the point, seemingly less emotional um, in nature. You would you would think some of those things on the surface make this feel very very macho. What I think is awesome about this movie and what elevates it and what makes it a five-star movie for me is that it's not just style. And I, and I do think this is Zack Snyder's best film, hands down. It is his number one. For, I wouldn't say hands down. It is his number one for me. Uh, you know, Man of Steel is up there quite a bit close to it at this point. But I think that this is my favorite, I should say, um, by a, a hair still. And this is because it's more than just that. It's not just what you see on the poster. If it was, I think I would understand the movies that gets its criticisms, right? And it's not just a rah-rah, go men, strong men, ha-ha-ha kind of movie. There's a lot going on here with the women of Sparta that we're going to talk about. And there's also a lot of emotion within the men. To me, they're real men. The, the, the way that maybe it's not in their culture to display their emotion in the way that we would, right? You or I, or that is 
historically considered, quotes, normal. But there is plenty of emotion between Leonidas and his wife, Queen Gorgo. When he leaves, when he's preparing to come back, and he's sending Dilios home, and what he gives back to her, like there's so much said in that. The relationship between the father and the son that we see, and how that plays out. And then when the son is killed, the way that the father reacts, you're telling me that that's not emotional? You know, these are not dumb brutes, right? They're fighting for their cult, they're fighting for their lives, they're fighting for their world, their nation, they're fighting for their women. They're not just out there fighting because they like to fight, right? That's not the purpose of their battling. And I think that that macho tag kind of, kind of, it, it kind of simplifies things too much for what this movie really is showcasing. Yeah, it definitely overshadows it on more times than it doesn't, but it's not absent of those tender moments where we see father-son relationships. We see the strength of a wife and the loyalty of brothers together. And again, these are ideas that are true. I think they're just accented in ways where you have a deliberateness to how Zack Snyder is directing and writing the story that allows for us to kind of get into this overindulgence, but that overindulgence doesn't negate what's actually happening because the things you mentioned about masculinity and the ability to share a, with a brother in arms and to weep and to have those moments, those are not absent. As you said, they're also not played for overly dramatic effect. They are very quick. That's the thing. They're very quick and they're meant to be because Zack Snyder doesn't leave the battlefield most of the time. I mean, this is the journey they're on. They're fighting almost all the time. And so there's a level of realness there. There's no time to grieve. There's no time to weep. This is the time to fight. And I think that that has, I think 300 handles that pretty well in terms of showing that you can't break down emotionally. So if that's considered hypermasculine, I would say it's only hypermasculine in the fact that we don't get an equal amount of the other stuff. I haven't seen the sequel, but if I were to write a sequel in my head, it would be the aftermath. and Or you'd get a series of how all this stuff affects these individuals. So you'd have individual arcs for some of these other soldiers. And I think it would kind of round itself out in terms of the narrative to give more subtlety, softness to some of these soldiers. But at the heart of this movie is the masculinity and the strength of the Spartan soldiers as a band of brothers of 300 who have agreed to do this, who are not going out looking for a fight, but they are compelled because of how much they care about their honor and how much they care about Sparta and its history. And I think that it's appropriate the way it's told visually and narratively. Agreed. Totally agree. And also, by the way, the sequel does not follow this specific group of people because their story is over. It is done. Like it, it is, this is a one shot battle that happens in the moment. The sequel is actually not terrible. I like it. And it has a female lead in it, Eva Green, 
who is an absolute badass in that movie. She's, I will watch it if April awesome. She's I awesome, will, dude. I, I, I mean, it's, it's she's in. action heavy, and she is just really good. Um, but it, it it's kind of before, during, and after this battle as it's taking place, but it's covering other battles as part of the broader war. It's nowhere near as good, right? Like know, overall, yeah. But, do you know if it's based on a on Miller's comic book or is is that No, of... I don't think so. Okay. I think it, it's an original kind of follow-up idea. Oh, that's bold. Okay. I'm pretty sure. That, watch me be wrong and somebody's going to come for me on the internet cuz that's what happens. <laughs> but anyway, I don't have time to google it right now. So I wanted to talk about their culture, uh Spartans and honor because they have a lot of that. And we get so many great depictions of their culture and that that show us and tell us both it's not all exposition um, and i think this is a big part of where zach's style works amazingly here i'll back up for a second and tell you one of the special features that i really enjoyed was him talking him and frank both talking about so once he convinced frank to allow them to adapt this which took a while he said that frank was very unwilling uh, to let it happen at first finally convinced him. And so they'd been trying to sell this to studios and they were just getting no after no, after no, after no, after no. And they ultimately made a pitch. And what they did is they took some of the comic book pages and they used Photoshop or whatever to remove the dialogue bubbles. And then they animated the pages on the screen and added a voiceover to it from Scott Glenn the, who he was like called one of my friends Scott Glenn to come in and do and I'm like thinking and he says it's so casual you know and I'm just like you oh your friend Scott Glenn like Scott Glenn's nobody right <laughs> and uh and so he you, and they showed some of it right and it was sounded amazing it was very much like Dilios's narration um at the beginning of the movie and then you know throughout it but really at the beginning and the end as he's telling this story and so he eventually got a studio to say, okay, we were going to, he said, they, they, would get, they gave me a sum of money, a small sum of money. And they said, go out and make us like a scene that shows us what you want to do. And it reminded me of kind of like your film festival that you do, your short film festival. I was thinking about how it's like, it's almost like they gave him the money to do this and said, here, you have a weekend, go make your movie in a weekend and give us an, you know, a condensed version of something. And so Zach outlines it and shows he's like, we were in a warehouse, I think in Canada. And he's like, it's funny because like everybody's in, you know, these barely wearing anything for these Spartan uniforms and the desert is on, you know, being, you know, depicted on the inside of this warehouse, but it's snowing outside. And they did a scene of like the Spartan army in their phalanx formation fighting and like a 360 kind of spin around and, and they showed this little like short that they used to sell the studio and you would be amazed at how how much it looks just like it just looks like kind of rough visual like you you know the cgi was cleaned up but it's stylistically it was exactly what we ultimately got and that's what sold them on the picture so it was a really cool little special feature on how he finally was able to get it made but that style is so critical i think to depicting the culture because what many historical movies would do is they would find some people to stop what they're doing and have a conversation 
where they talked all about how Spartan culture works and how, you know, this is what they do, this is what they do. But by getting it in the narration along with like these hyper, you know, stylized cinematic pieces um, like Leonidas as a kid with the wolf in the beginning and and they're, we're learning about how they throw away their young who are deformed or injured because they're too weak. And so when they're seven years old, they go off on this specific kind of almost like their own little like uh, journey to become tr men and, and they're trained from day one to fight in battle. They're a warfare or a warfare culture. Like that's how they, they operate. Um, but they did that not to go out and conquer. They did that only for protection. They were only fighting to maintain what they had. Another interesting bit of their culture that came out of the special features that I don't think is particularly said in the film, but he explained how he showed it, was that the women were actually trained as well. And he said the, the, the historian they were talking to was talking about how the women in Sparta would legitimately like, if the Greeks had gotten through, then they would have had to face the women and the women would have put up an incredible fight that they would have had no idea what was coming for them because they were also trained in warfare. It wasn't just the men that it was very similar for them. And they, uh, they allude to that by that one scene where I think it's, um, I don't remember if it's Xerxes or a messenger uh, that's talking to Leonidas and he says something about, um, they say something about going back and he kind of smirks and he's like, uh, I don't know if you want to go back and fight our women. Like you're gonna, you're gonna get it given to you, right? So I thought that was neat. But you know, their culture was hard. Um, with you know the way that they grew up, it's the strongest survive, and the way that Leonidas treats Ephialtes, um is a big point in the story. It's the kind of it's the reason for the betrayal, and I think it's a really intriguing matter because you have this greek who wants to be like part of them he wants to do his part and he tries but he's not allowed to and i wondered you know I, just in general i wondered what you thought about this idea of like strongest survive and from a moral standpoint you know do their reasons outweigh kind of the ickiness of what they're doing and, and is, is Leonidas's treatment of Ephialtes fair to you? Well, I don't know that fairness or morality really play into this because it's about self-preservation. And what 300 really does effectively is it marries the idea of self-preservation and strength with community and honor and all these things that you wouldn't necessarily find. If I thought about what does it mean to be, what does it mean to honor? What does it mean to have strength in the Western culture? And what I understand the 21st century culture, it means being honest with my wife. It means being able to care for those who need you know, the widows, the orphans and the poor. And that is the polar opposite of what we get in Sparta. But the motivation is different. If I didn't know anything about Sparta, what I would gather from this story is that Sparta is almost like this independent world that is cut off from everybody else. They have developed their own culture, their own rules, their own type of ecosystem. And taking the example of women, it's different than the rest of the world. 
where women are vaulted to a place of value and they are seen maybe not as equal, but as valuable in terms of maintaining the population, maintaining the culture. At its core, Sparta is all about giving a way to bring unity to the city and to that culture in order to preserve it, in order for it to last as long as it does. And that's what makes the end of the movie so interesting, where Xerxes is making this incredible offer and his messenger is the dialogue is really fantastic because the messenger in that messenger but the i'm just checking his offer to ephelades where he says no no i'm sorry to to Leonidas, to offer to Leonidas, Leonidas. At, the end, at the end yeah gotcha where he stacks all of the things that sparta wants to preserve their culture to make sure that they're not conquered to make sure that that these things still are in place but he twists them in a way that you can have all these. In fact, you can have all these things and more. But taking the example, you want to preserve your own culture and your own like kingdom, if you will. You can have that, and you will be of service underneath the god himself, Xerxes. All of these things are in submission to Xerxes. And so it's really interesting. Leonidas is getting what he wants like the things that he wants to accomplish throughout this whole film, the whole reason he goes on this quest to battle, he's getting it, but he's getting it in a twisted way. And I love how the film just sort of plays that out, how he gets down on his knees and he looks like he's bowing. And we get that voiceover narration that completes the thought, you know, he puts, he puts his sword down, he puts, or he pulls off his helmet and he puts down his shield but then we get the why he does that. And of course, then we get the, the spear. And so I think all of that puts a bow on the value of Sparta as a culture. And so when you think about the things that they do, discarding babies who are not strong enough, you've got to have that. Only the strongest survive. But it's not about the individual strength. It's about the communal strength because that's equally as valuable. In fact, it's even more valuable. When Leonidas is talking to Ephialides, uh, gosh, I can never, I never can pronounce these names. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> when he's talking to him, he's giving him some praise. He, he says, look, the fact that you want to do this is incredible and it's noble. And if you want to help, then take care of those who are injured, bring water to them. And there's nobility in that, Aaron. But he doesn't see it that way because he wants to fight. And I think there's a part of me that believes that he wants to fight because ultimately it's kind of the Spartan cool thing to do. Like there's no, there's no value, there's no kind of fame in sitting on the sidelines. But you go back home to Sparta and you see all these women who are just as strong and they're doing something equally as valuable by holding down the fort. And I think that his treatment of him, Leonidas's treatment of him, is valid in the context of Spartan culture. 21st century, no, don't do that. Don't, don't dismiss someone because they can't do that. But I think in this case, he did because he understood that you can't defend. Your shield cannot go up. You cannot 
complete what we're asking you to do. And we can't be a solid army. We can't be a cohesive unit with you part of that. That's not your fault. And here's a way that you can help, but just know this can't happen. And instead of taking that, he's dismissed. And then, of course, he takes the, the Xerxes <laughs> bargain, which is ultimately kind of his demise. It's really intriguing to me. I, I find it to be kind of paradoxical, honestly, because their culture is built on this strength. So you aren't worth anything if you are not strong. Like Ephelades in their culture would not exist because he was he had to be hidden secretly or he would have been thrown away, right? Off the cliff, dead as a baby, never would have gotten a chance. So there's there's an interesting dynamic to that, right? Their betrayal comes as a fault of this culture in one way. But then you have that paradox where Leonidas is acting in a way that is almost counter to their culture by being so understanding and wanting to give him a role of value of that is helpful, even though it's not the same because he can't. So nothing Leonidas is doing in the moment is, is wrong. Like you said, it is absolutely the right leadership choice he makes, and he does it in a very caring and, you know, um, I don't know, he, he just does it in a way that I feel is extremely fair to Ephelades. But because of the culture they're in, it doesn't actually work. So it's, it's really this paradox they've created for themselves. And I love that about Greek stories and, and anything in this era, everything is tragic in a way, like nothing ever just happens for no reason, as a complete accident, right? You can almost always trace back things to a decision that was already made that kind of, let, it's almost like Back to the Future, right? It's like ripples <laughs> that affected things to come. And it's because of that that they ended up in this whole position in the first place of being betrayed. But yet the betrayal is a key reason why they're able to sacrifice themselves. And the whole point of this, like, I love the way he, Zach, does this, man, with the narration. And I mean, that's in the book, right? Like, or in the comic, the narrator Delios is telling this story, but I just love the way that it's all revealed to us because this is the way history worked. This is an oral story that would have been told hundreds and hundreds and thousands of times. And so someone has to orate it. And so did the battle go exactly like this? Absolutely not. I love that there's like fantastical creatures kind of mixed in there. Like there's things that they were talking about in the special features. They were like, was there really a war rhino with armor on? Probably not. But it's cool. Like, Zach, I think Zach actually said, but it's cool. But the idea of like creating this mythology about a battle and then telling a story and then it becomes an inspiration to then evoke your army to stand up and fight to ultimately win the war. There's like layers to all of the actions and choices here that make it so fascinating. Because if yeah. you take one out or change one, then the whole result is different. Absolutely. And what I dig about the way the battle sequences are fleshed out, how they're they're pushed forward is that they're scaled. And the narration is really key here because 
we get a series of battles. We get a number of battles happening just over time. I, I don't know the exact number of days or months that this was happening. A few, it, sound, it seems like a few days. But what you get from that is that there's no room to rest. You get resourcefulness on full display. And this is where I think the Spartan culture really shines in this film, is that they relied on resourcefulness. If you look at each battle, they didn't do the same thing twice because their enemy wasn't the same. Yes, it was the Persians, but it was different versions. It was versions of Persians. Wow. Okay. It's in my head now. Um, but you've got this whole sense of what's next, what could be next. And so you have soldiers that are running at them. And so they have that great clashing sequence near the beginning of the, the whole battle sequence that takes place over you know, several days. And then they get horseback and then they get rhinos and they get elephants and magic. And it's almost like it just kind of elevates and elevates and elevates. You almost feel like you're in an RPG and all of these things are just sort of getting worse and worse and worse. And Leonidas has to find ways to be resourceful, has to find ways to be a problem solver. This is a strength of Spartan culture because they are not having, they refuse to be conquered, so they adapt. If they have a giant army coming at them, they adapt. If there is a culture that wants to conquer them, they adapt. And I think what Snyder's doing here, and Frank Miller, you know, through his story, is he's sharing why Spartan culture lasted as long as it did, because they learned to adapt, not necessarily adapt culture from other places but to adapt to the cultures around them so that they can maintain that strength. And I really, really enjoyed all the resourcefulness that we got to see on the battlefield, because I think that said a lot about the culture as a whole, that they really didn't have, they didn't have, they didn't have magic. As far as I could tell, they didn't have horses, right? They had themselves and they found ways to use each other as a means to be a strength. And I think that's what amplifies the whole sense of community because you don't have anything else. If you don't have each other, what have you got? And I, I see that played out over and over again. And I like the fact that we didn't get repetition in these battles, that they had to find ways to move the, the Persian army back. It was really, they love throwing people over cliffs. I think that's kind of a common thing. <laughs> we see it with babies. We see it with messengers that they don't like. Just throw them over, just throw them out because we don't want them around. So if there's one character trait that you want to pull from this, it's that if you're if you get on the Spartans bad side, avoid a cliff when you're doing well, that. Stay on solid ground. The famous thing is the Spartan kick. Um, and I love how I love how iconic it's become too. It's part of Assassin's Creed Odyssey, the video game that was set in Greece and specifically revolves around a story of a character who was believed to have been tossed. Uh, over the cliff and killed and then you're you're the player right and then you weren't and so you're going after your father it's pretty awesome but one of your abilities you can get is the quote spartan kick and you do that move and i i immediately went and got it and just ran around the map like kicking people right off cliffs and and every it's so satisfying but it's because of this movie it's because of this depiction of it right it's like that ingrained in culture um, what this movie had an impact on, uh, huge impact, huge, and uh, and I love it. 
the I love that you brought up the well scene. The well scene, of course, with the kick is iconic. And they talked about that too. They talked about how you know, like the film itself, the dialogue says, you know, assaulting a messenger was kind of unheard of. You just wouldn't do it. And but they were explaining like that was the impact of their culture, right? They were just not going to be uh, disrespected, period. And that I don't think that the well thing actually existed, but it was, they said it was definitely something they would have done, um, would have gone and done, you know, uh, something similar to that. And it was just such a, it's such a great scene. I think it just sets the stage so well for like, no, like we're not, gonna take we're not gonna sit here and listen to you and and have you tell us that we're gonna come kill you and you're either gonna bow to us or that's you know or get rolled over we're just gonna kill you now like what's the point why are we playing this political game the spartans weren't all about that they were about doing and solving the problem in the moment and then reckoning with it later now i did want to talk about queen gorgo because i think that she is the cog of this whole thing that makes it special i think without her and without what she brings to our understanding of their culture and our understanding of leonidas's relationship that you know then it becomes a totally different movie with a totally different intent i think she's incredible i think lena Headey in the role is awesome um she is so powerful uh, but but very quietly powerful um very graceful at the same time and she gets some of the absolute best dialogue in this movie i mean her lines she doesn't say a lot but it's just like spitting fire every time she says something i mean we start off with her saying very the very beginning when she gets questioned by the messenger only spartan women give birth to real men and i mean i think you realize from that moment i think it's a great scene because as a viewer, it sort of jolts us just like it jolts the messenger. Like, whoa, <laughs> you're going to let her talk. Like, how is she talking to me like that? She says, freedom isn't free at all. That it comes with the higher highest of costs, the cost of blood. She And then when she's uh, talking to Leonidas before he leaves, I think it's a great moment as well where we have this king who's in charge. He's the decision maker. The only person he's going to take advice from is his wife. And what does she say to him? She says, it is not a question of what a Spartan citizen should do, nor a husband, nor a king. Instead, ask yourself, my dearest love, what should a free man do? And it's just like, she has these lines over and over. She brings such a wisdom and a strength to them. And I think, her character, and then, of course, she, she gives this awesome monologue uh, at the end when she's in front of them, in front of the Senate, talking about, I, I guess, I don't know if it's a Senate, but whatever they called the quorum at the time of, of their leaders, when she's trying to get them to send the Spartan army for aid, she says, send it for the preservation of liberty. She said, or she says, we must send the entire Spartan army to aid our king in the preservation of not just ourselves, but of our children. Send the army for the preservation of liberty. Send it for justice. Send it for law and order. Send it for reason. 
but most importantly, send our army for hope. Hope that a king and his men have not been wasted to the pages of history, that their courage bonds us together, that we are made stronger by their actions, and that your choices today reflect their bravery. Oh man, it's Amen. It's, Amen. Preach. It, it is, right? And it gives you chills. And it's such a it's such a beautiful relationship to me because she doesn't have the power, especially at this time in history. I mean, women were not in control, right? But you understand that she has there it's a partnership. It may not be a partnership in the way you traditionally see it depicted like out in front of everybody, but the way that she talks, the way that she um, expresses herself, she does it in a way that acknowledges the importance of both what her husband is doing and his decision-making. And then also the wisdom that she's bringing to the situation here at home that the idiots can't seem to understand. And of course you have the traitor Theron, um, which I love the way that he goes out and her coming back at him with the, this will not be over quickly. You will not enjoy this. I am not your queen. Um, that's another thing too. Like when she actually gets taken by him sexually, historically speaking, the women's power often lied or laid pun intended in them sleeping with men and politicians specifically to gain information and be able to manipulate situations. Um, that was a very common thing. And so that scene is not there just to put a, a man overpowering a woman. Like she is kind of allowing it to happen in a way because she offers herself, because she's doing it. She's a trade, it's a bargain, but she's sacrificing herself. And I think that's so key. Like, Leonidas and the 300 are making a sacrifice. When they left, they know they're not coming back. I think he says that at one point. Everybody knew, knew that. That's the reality. But she's sacrificing herself too for the greater good. Physically, her, her, her own, all of her being. It's gross. It's awful. It's evil. But she does it because of, you know, it's going to benefit the whole culture and right. the whole society. Well, I think what 300 really does is it equalizes both of them, not in status, but in value, both her and Leonidas. And I, I saw the same thing. I saw from a dialogue standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, how different they were, not because they were necessarily man and woman, but because they had different roles. And on this viewing, I really focused in on the way that Leonidas speaks to his men and the way in which she speaks, or the way in which he speaks to her, or the way in which she speaks to those that try to usurp her. She's very well-read. She understands things. She's smart. But you're right. She has a quiet way about her that makes for a really interesting contrast because she's just as influential as he is, but she doesn't have to yell, this is Sparta. She doesn't have to yell, we are going to take these and we will not retreat and we will not surrender. She doesn't have to do that. One, it's not her role, but two, it's not her purpose. So watching how they contrast each other, it brings us to that really fantastic moment near the end of the film where Leonidas 
so effectively says, my queen, my wife, my love. And I think it's very deliberate how he ranks those, how essentially he puts those in specific order. Because at the heart of his relationship is his love for her. She is his love. Yes, she's his queen. There's a status there. She's his wife. There's a role. But it goes deeper than that. And I think that moment, gosh, put them right into you know a favorite couple because <laughs> they they were they're a power couple but they're a power couple that lost each other and i think it's a very beautifully tragic story knowing that he's not coming back but his legacy lives on in her son and she is not while she's incomplete without him in terms of being her love and her husband She's not incomplete because she's powerful as well. Again, how the story plays out, we can only imagine. But I think that watching those two in contrast to each other, we see how leadership, if we're going to elevate this to like a, a conference or something or a, or a sermon, this is how leadership looks. It looks different from different people. Uh, case in point, I have a soccer team that I assistant coach with. Of the three coaches that are on the pitch practicing with these guys, I'm the one that doesn't yell because that's not who I am. So I ask the question, what's my role? My role is to make observations and to check on the emotional well-being of these kids. How are you feeling about that? Do you feel discouraged? You know, I guess playing psychologist. Sometimes that's effective. Sometimes it's not. And so knowing when to use that, knowing when to put myself in that situation where I can be effective that way. And knowing when I need to step back and let the other coaches kind of get into the kid's face and say, what are you doing? That's a role that I'm not comfortable with, but that doesn't make my role negated, just like it doesn't make their role negated when a kid needs to kind of get to the why of what it is that they're doing wrong. And so I see that in this movie. I see how both of these people as a couple influence the people around them. Obviously the spotlight is on Leonidas because that's what we see the most of. But man, she shines just as bright whenever she talks or whenever she gets in front of people, whenever she has individual conversations, she just has a stature to her that she's not a token queen. She is the queen. And she, you know, if I had to write the story after this, she's going to do some amazing things as the queen. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to that story that will never get told but will stay in my head. You know, it's uh, no n surprise to me that she got cast as like one of the handful of primary characters in Game of Thrones. She is huge as Cersei Lannister, mostly the antagonist for the majority of the entire series and a queen ultimately. And I think this performance really showed that she could knock that out of the park and then she did. So yeah, she's she's got it. And I love also I like your soccer analogy there because, you know, Leonidas has his generals too. Like, I mean, he has these guys that are with him that it's interesting because he relies on their counsel. But there's also scenes that I thought were pretty neat to see where he's like, hurry up, put the bodies on the wall, let's move, let's go. And they just go to work. 
Like he does give orders at times. He is a leader and he's in charge and he tells them what to do while he's, you know, formulating the next plan. So I want to talk about like favorites because this is the kind of action, exciting kind of movie. There's lots of amazing one-liners and stuff. So any favorite battle sequence and or lines of dialogue that stuck out to you? I think for me, in terms of action, the first encounter with the Persians is pretty fantastic. As I mentioned before, I love the way that both of these soldiers, sets of soldiers come together and they're almost like playing a reverse tug of war. And then eventually like something breaks and then the spears start flying and it just gets crazy. But a good kind of second place for me is what I called the big dude battle where this guy comes out and it's, it's that guy. It's it's like from Indiana Jones. It's like the big guy that you're going to have to fight where he does that. And I think all three of them, maybe at least two, I know. Yeah. At least two of the three, but I love those little one-on-one -on -one moments where you've got brute strength that is getting outwitted by resourcefulness and seeing how, individuals like Leonidas, how he handles it, seeing how the fact that he needs help sometimes. I love that. I love that he's not immortal, that he's not the only guy. And so the battle like that from a individual standpoint really stood out. But I definitely gravitate back to the the very first battle where we get to see a collision essentially. And then seeing how the Spartan kick goes into effect by pushing all those Persians off a cliff and being like what you got next? Bring it on, Xerxes. I mean, that's kind of how I felt watching this. I was like, who's next? And what are we going to do? Yeah, absolutely. I think seeing the phalanx in action is a high point for me. Just watching it be able to work out of that little bubble and ball. I mean, just in general, like you mentioned, same things. I love the Spartan kick. I love seeing the tactics of standing behind the wall and then pushing the wall of dead bodies and rocks onto them and leaping over to attack. Um, the tech footage I was talking about that they made, like the demo footage battle scene that they used to sell it with that money that they got to make in the warehouse, they used that big guy fight. There's, It's a little bit different version, of course, without as good CGI, but that's the idea that they used. And I just love the use of slow motion. I For, me, for my money, you know, this is Zach... Snyder staple and this in this movie I love every single frame that he puts in slow motion it works beautifully and I think that's because just of the stylized nature it's in combat and it makes sense in combat and it looks like it's off the page of a graphic novel when you're doing it in this way versus a more dramatically driven narrative in some of his other films where sometimes it can be like okay that was not really enhancing anything it doesn't fit what's happening in the scene but it always fit in this movie and I, I love it all and of course him throwing the spear and cutting Xerxes I just that moment is such a arousing moment to know that you're about to go to your death and to have all of your men standing there and they know they're not even going to put up a fight I think that's what's so like I almost want to cry because they, they go into that battle, not even to fight to the death. They know that they're going to be completely slaughtered. They have to sell this ruse 
for no other purpose than to allow him to get one hit on Xerxes. But the importance of it, not even killing Xerxes, goes so far beyond anything they could have done by killing a few extra foot soldiers. But to watch them all just, you know, having fought so valiantly and lived so long and gone through so much to then just all die in a rain of arrows, it's awful. But you understand what they're doing and why. And so that moment stands out. Yeah. And then I love, there's so much dialogue. I mean, every piece of dialogue, I just love the script. I think it's just brilliant adapted but like i texted you i think the one that i just grinned the biggest at in the whole movie is when leonidas comes up to delios our narrator after he's taken his injury he says delios i trust that scratch hasn't made you useless he says hardly my lord it's just an eye the god saw fit to grace me with two or with a spare and i just i love like to me, like that is the epitome of their culture. And it's the way he delivers the line. There's zero reluctance. Like there's zero, you know, sadness in it. It's just like, I'm good. Let's go. Right. Um, and I, and I think that that's a really neat thing and a great contrast to when we see someone's loved one die in battle and we see him and we get to see some actual emotional rage, you know, come through as well. It's controlled to the, I mean, it's directed in the right place and he never loses his ability to be part of the force going forward, but he does express himself. Um, and I, and I just really enjoy, I just love the movie in general. Yeah. I love it all. When you talk about dialogue, I think there's one moment that stands out to me that you reminded me of where we had the death of the boy of the son and Delios essentially says in voiceover that the rage that he exhibited put fear into the essentially put fear into the hearts of those worse than an attack on these foot soldiers like his anger and his rage were enough to scare the enemy I thought that was really really poetic I mean the idea of the rage of a father who's lost his son and how impactful that can be in terms of essentially like a poet like a, almost like a romantic push of emotion that pushes people back it, it honestly it reminds me of the opening sequence of Zack Snyder's Justice League where the cry of of Kal-El is heard throughout the uh throughout the opening shot like throughout the world like it has that kind of impact so i i really love that and i was also reminded this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier but you know when we have delios leaving because he he could fight but he's only got the one eye it's ironic that the survivor who carries on the legacy who carries on the story of these 300 is the one who's crippled the one who doesn't have the strength now yes technically could he he wasn't deformed he wasn't but he was crippled he was no longer capable of being able to fight the way he wanted to or the way he could and he became the one that survived i thought that was poetic at the uh, at the very end and how it created this really great coda of him handing that talisman to to his wife and it's just beautiful but yeah i think the voiceover itself was really effective throughout it wasn't overused it wasn't underdone 
and then the way it came to like full circle where we see him talking to us from that voiceover that we've gotten so used to uh, was really beautiful. Yeah, th- that's the thing is he is revealing to us at the end that he's been telling this story the whole time from the battlefield hyping up the army. It's a little bit of a it's a little bit unrealistic too. I had this brief moment where there's this scene and it happens in all historical war movies, right? Where he's saying this inspirational speech and then it pan- the camera pans out and you see legions and he says like, you know, force parta or something and they're like, "Who? Who? Who?" all completely in unison and it spans like miles of terrain. And it's like there's no like there's Nobody past like the second row could hear what he's and and in a very little bubble would have any idea what this guy actually was saying, right? <laughs> like that's not realistic. Uh, but man, is it cool from a cinematic standpoint, and and it communicates the point, the emotion of it, the impact of it, and that's why we watch movies, right? To do that. So, last but not least, before we wrap up, rate Gerard Butler's abs on a scale of one to ten. <laughs> Oh, oh my gosh. There's only one answer right here. Yes. <laughs> There's a, yes. Yes. We're going to say 10. One plus two plus three plus four plus five plus. <laughs> yes. Yes. For 13, if we're going to do basic math, I mean, why not? Yes. Let's just do that. <laughs> well, with that being said and voted on, that will do it for us on this edition of Feel and Film. And that will do it for us on this 300th episode. But we are not, I repeat, not done with the celebration. If you've listened to us, these last five years, you know that for our hundredth episodes, the zero zeros, we do a trilogy and we are not changing that this time around either. So you're going to get a great treat. Uh, what is that trilogy? Well, check your feed, subscribe, do what you can because it's coming at you. We hope you enjoy it. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. Aaron, I've enjoyed this as much as you have. <laughs> we'll talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group very active in both places and would love to chat and if you want to connect with me you can find me at shoeless patch on both facebook and twitter be sure to tag me in any comments so that i'll be notified and not miss you once again thank you for listening we'll be back soon until then stay positive and keep feeling filmed